You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall, home of the best selection of Georgia gear and accessories that you will find anywhere as the holiday season is approaching. Make sure to get the gifts for the Georgia fans in your life at Alumni Hall where you can earn credit back towards future purchases with their Hall Pass Rewards Program. Of course, if you're a military veteran or a current UGA student, you get a 10% discount each and every day of the year. So make sure to shop with them today, either in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. And also, the next time you're planning your trip to the Classic City, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage here in the heart of Athens. Three bedrooms, full kitchenette, Big screen TV, awesome host, free tree-lined parking in the most gorgeous part of the classic city. Clean, safe, convenient to everything you would want to do in Athens. It's a no-brainer. Make sure to check them out on Instagram at the Normal Town Cottage, or you can check them out just by searching for them on Airbnb. But all right, guys, let's get into things today. As you guys know, I am your host, Tyler. You know that by now. And we are doing something a little different today on the Wednesday podcast. Normally, you know the drill. This is where I give you a detailed preview of the upcoming game. But something tells me that about, oh, I don't know, 0% of you out there have even the slightest bit of interest in a deep dive into the Charleston Southern Buccaneers. Just a hunch there. Just a hunch. And look, I've always been a guy, those of you who have been listening for a long time, you know that I'm always one of those guys that's a really strong advocate of respecting every single opponent on the schedule, even a baby seal like Charleston Southern, because the thing is, you don't want to end up being the victim of that epic upset. Is that likely? Of course it's not. It's extraordinarily unlikely. But you just don't even want to like tempt fate and become one of those victims like I don't know like Appalachian State over Michigan you don't want that to happen you don't want to be one of those teams but I also understand that no one wants to hear me talk about Charleston Southern I get that and honestly I don't really have that much to say about them sure I I could look up some numbers and read some articles and regurgitate what I find but the fact is I haven't seen them play like they're not on TV I haven't seen this team play I haven't seen them play one single snap and when that's the case I can't really give you anything authentic anything worth anything at all so yeah for those reasons no Charleston Southern preview today but 
I wanted to make sure we have some content for you guys. I know it's football season. I know you guys want your Georgia football fix, and we do our very best to make sure to provide that for you each and every week, no matter what the circumstance might be. So I was thinking about, okay, what, what, what can we do this week? What can we do on Wednesday instead of a preview show? And it quickly became clear to me what we needed to do, because based on the DMs and emails that I've gotten over the past several weeks, the interest in recruiting among a lot of you listeners out there is really picking up as the early signing day approaches. We're now, I mean, don't look now, guys, but we're now less than a month away from the early signing period. It begins December 15th. That's when the the signing period begins. I know we call it signing day, but technically the early signing period is an actual like period of time that they had to sign early. Uh, And the dogs, obviously, if you've been paying attention, which I know you have, have picked up some serious momentum on the trail over the past month or so. And we're looking to make an even stronger push down the home stretch here. And recruiting is something that like I, I follow very close. I've been following it for a long time. But it's just something that we have a hard time fitting in during the season because we've got so much to cover. We've got to recap the previous week's game, look ahead to, the, to this week's game. There's a lot to kind of fit in there. We want to also make sure we answer your questions, get to exactly what you guys want to talk about. So it's just hard to fit recruiting in during the actual season. So when we get a chance to work it in like this, I think we got to do it. Let's take advantage of it. Let's do it today. So what I did is I put the call out for recruiting specific questions earlier in the week, and we're going to run through those. I promise we got quite a few to get to. We'll run through those. But first, I do want to answer a few team questions that were sent in for the mailbag this week, but we didn't see them until after Charlie and I had already recorded the mailbag episode. So I want to go ahead and uh, give some love to our listeners who sent those questions in. We don't want anyone to feel like we're ignoring you. And these are good questions. So I thought it was worthwhile to spend just a couple minutes here at the beginning of this episode to talk about these questions before we get to all the recruiting stuff. And let's start with William. This is a really good question. It actually gives me an opportunity to talk about something that I've been meaning to talk about for a long time and I just, it like always slips my mind because there's just so much to talk about with this Georgia defense. But William asked, the Georgia defense has been praised all season long as a historically great defense. And we've heard a lot about the team speed, the pass rush, the rush defense, and of course the individual players. But what do you think is the most underrated key to this defense's success? This is a great question, William, because you're right. Like We've heard about all those things. We've obviously heard about the rush defense. That's kind of been the, the calling card of this defense. We know about the individual players, Nakobe Dean, Buckets Award finalist type guy, Jordan Davis, who knows, a dark horse Heisman candidate? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I've been waxing eloquent about Quay Walker all season, Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter might be the best player in the team, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And oh yeah, Nolan Smith, by the way, right? So we've talked about all these guys. We've talked about the pass rush, the rush defense, team speed, all of that, the depth, all those things. But one thing that I don't know if we've actually really directly addressed on this show all season, and that's an oversight, guys. That's on us. That's on me. I actually meant to talk about it on the recap episode uh, for Tennessee, for the Tennessee game. I had it in my notes, but after we got going and the conversation kind of went in different directions, it just kind of slipped my mind. I didn't fit it in there. And actually, after the episode, I was like, God, man, I meant to talk about this, and that sucks. I, I missed that. And so when William asked this question, I was like, oh, sweet, awesome, thanks, dude. I, I got a chance to talk about it now. And uh, to me, this is a pretty obvious answer. All the things that William said are, are true. You're right, William. Team speed, pass rush, rush D, individual players, all great. Those are all big parts of why we're so good on defense. But another part of this, especially a reason as to why we're so good when it comes to actually limiting opponents from scoring, and we're still number one nationally in scoring defense, 
giving up just a hair more than a touchdown now for, for each game. The biggest reason that I think that's the case, outside of all the things that you mentioned, all the things that everyone talks about, is our red zone defense. Our red zone defense has been extraordinary. It's been elite, guys, in every other part of our defense. But this is something that, that again, I haven't talked about enough. That's my bad. I need. I should have been talking about this all season long. I've noticed it, just haven't really brought it up much on the show because we're talking about all these other things. If you look at the numbers, guys, we're number two nationally in red zone scoring percentage. We're allowing opponents to score only 57% of the time once they enter the red zone. That's touchdown or field goal. That's touchdown or field goal. That is insane. And then on top of that, we're number two nationally. This is almost even more important for me. Number two nationally in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, only allowing touchdowns on 28% of opponent possessions once they reach the red zone. That is truly elite, guys. Teams this day and age, I don't care how good your defense is, they're going to find some success, one drive, two drives, a couple of drives a game, where you're going to be able to move the ball a little bit. And we've seen some of that. Go back to Tennessee game, go back to the Missouri game, the Florida game a little bit there. They were able to move the ball at times, not consistently. We're still holding teams, for the most part, under 300 yards of total offense. Tennessee got a little bit over that on that final drive. We actually had them under 300 before that, that last touchdown drive they had. But teams have had you know success here and there because offensive football, guys, has become the name of the game. The rules, the way they're written, just simply favor offensive football, whether it's a targeting rule, whether it's RPOs, alignment allowed to be four yards down the field. Now you can't really hit the quarterback. All of those things favor offenses, and that's one of the, those, that's a big reason why you've seen this offensive explosion, along with the innovations with, with how teams are actually structuring their offense as well. So it's really hard to play consistently elite defense these days, and it's hard to like completely shut teams out. We've done a great job of that, but there have been some situations where teams have gotten into our red zone, but we have bowed our neck when teams have gotten in the red zone, and we are just giving them absolute hell in their red zone. A big part of that, obviously, is that the the field shrinks. They don't have as many areas to attack as they can attack us vertically there because they don't have as much room to be able to do that. And what you have to be able to do in the red zone, first and foremost, to be able to score an offense is you need to be able to run the football. The teams that are best in the red zone and actually like scoring touchdowns in the red zone are teams that can run the football. And that just really meshes extraordinarily well with what we do best on defense, which is stop the run. So teams can't run the ball in the red zone when we when they get in there and that really limits what they can do because if they can't run the ball, it's a condensed space. So it's harder to throw the football because there's just not as much room to, to stretch us, whether it's horizontally or vertically. And so we've been really able to clamp down on teams and stifle offenses once they get in the red zone. I mean, the Tennessee game is kind of a microcosm of that. Yeah, I know on that first drive, you know, they, they got a touchdown uh, inside the red zone, but later on in that game, like we absolutely bowed our necks when they got close to our end zone again. Like we held them to a field goal from the seven yard line on the third drive. If they get another touchdown there, almost they got 14 points in the first three drives. Like that's a different game. Then coming out of halftime when we were up 24 10, I mean, they're still kind of in the game. I didn't feel like they had a chance on our defense to be able to come back from that deficit, but technically still had a chance. And then we uh, opened the, uh, the, the half there and we don't score a touchdown on our first drive coming out of halftime, even though we had the ball first. Since he gets the ball, they have a decent drive going. They start to move the ball into our territory. They get the ball to our 17-yard line, but we bow our necks and we stop them on downs. We stop them on fourth and four from the 17-yard line. What if they score a touchdown there on that drive? That starts to change things. All of a sudden, it's close again. That crowd gets back in the game. They start to feel like they got a chance and, and they just call the game differently. 
then we get a field goal go up 27-10. They know now they're down by three scores and it's going to be tough for them. So they come back to their second drive in the second half and they didn't get quite to the red zone, but they got down to our 39-yard line. They go for and fourth down. We were able to stop them there. So when teams are getting close to our red zone, we are just doing an incredible job of, of shutting them down. And that has been a big time advantage for this defense. And it's been a big reason why we've been able to maintain that number one ranking in the country when it comes to scoring defense. They're, we just simply aren't giving up points, certainly not giving up touchdowns once teams get in the red zone. So I think that is, to me, the most underrated aspect of this defense's success. There's a lot of reasons for our success, as, as we laid out earlier, but I don't think the red zone defense is getting talked about enough, and I'm as guilty of that as anyone. So I want to give the defense some love for that here on today's episode. All right, next team question here. This is one from Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, this is a great point. This is something we talked about a lot last year. We haven't really talked about it at all this year because it hasn't been a problem. But Jonathan says, I have noticed Stetson Bennett has had a lot less balls batted down at the line of scrimmage this year compared to last. I agree. Very true. What has the offense done to correct that? Is it something as simple as dropping back further or are they just not calling short slants over the middle anymore or something like that? Or is he just finding windows better? Great question, because you're right, Jonathan. This was a big talking point last year. We talked about it on this show quite a bit. I know the fan base was very frustrated about this last year and it really hasn't popped up as a major problem this year. Now, I'm gonna knock on wood because we don't want to start being a problem now, but hasn't been yet. So you wouldn't think it's gonna be a problem moving forward, hopefully. But I think there's a couple reasons for this. I think number one, I mean, yeah, I, I do think you're right in saying that that Stetson just has more experience now. I think he does have a better feel for how to create those windows and just kind of maneuver within the pocket to create opportunities for him to kind of fit the ball through those hands or up in the air and find those throwing lanes, those throwing windows. But even more than that, I think a lot of it has to do with how we are calling games. Todd Munkin didn't go into last season anticipating Stetson Bennett being his quarterback. He was changing the offense and operating on the fly with Stetson Bennett, right? And he had never coached the guy before. He was new to our team, didn't really have much of, really any offseason to speak of whatsoever. So he wasn't really all that familiar with Stetson. And so he was learning what Stetson did well on the fly. And one of the things I noticed last year that was different than what we're doing this year is we were dropping back, like a true drop back pass game was more part of our offense last year with Stetson than it is this year. What I mean by that is like actually just like you know taking the ball whether it's under center or whether it's the shotgun and just not even worrying worry about play fake just drop back pass game and expecting the quarterback to just kind of stay in the pocket and find those throwing windows and that's just not really conducive to Stetson having a high level of success if you do that consistently because he is short that's the fact why does Stetson if you watch him play one of the things that does frustrate me about Stetson's play is he tries to escape outside the pocket instead of moving up into the pocket. Sometimes I think there's some running lanes. He does a good job of, of scanning the field and, and he's done a better job of not forcing things and trying to make good decisions, but he sometimes will stay in the pocket too long and then he'll try to escape outside the pocket. And I think the reason for that is because he's short and he has trouble seeing sometimes over the big offensive lineman, the big defensive lineman, and it's hard for him to kind of just find those throwing windows and really see the feel from those positions. I think he's more comfortable rolling out of the pocket and kind of escaping outside the pocket when I think actually the better way to escape the pocket a lot of times is just take up through the middle there because there are some rushing lanes for him. I think he needs to continue to do a better job of that. I think he will. I think he's getting coached to do that. And you're trying to see him do it more and more, right? But I think this year now, not just that Stets is more experienced, 
Todd Munkin is more experienced calling games with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. And we are not doing a ton of like traditional drop back passing right now. It's not like completely out of our offense. We do it from time to time, especially like the two minute drill. You saw that against Tennessee. But when we, when things are rolling and, and our offense is clicking and we have a lead and, and we're kind of playing from ahead, we want to get this guy out of the pocket. We do a lot of sprint, boot action, and then we also get a lot of shot plays, right? And that's really important. We're not asking him to throw intermediate across middle all that much on a regular basis. We're not asking that him to do that right now. Um, now, at times, you know, again, two-minute drill, yeah, you'll, you'll see him do that. But really, we're doing a lot of sprint, boot actions, and taking shots off play action once we get the run game going. And that's important, the shots off play action. Because think about the trajectory of the ball. When he's throwing the ball deep vertically down the field like that, the way he throws the ball, the trajectory of that ball is not conducive to balls getting bad down. It's when he tries to throw these shorter, more intermediate routes across the middle, especially, that he has a lower trajectory of the ball. And since he's short, it's much more likely the ball is going to be, is going to be batted down. So I think the what you see us do with Stetson in the game from a passing standpoint, sprints, boots, shot plays, I don't think that's by accident. I do think Todd Munkin saw some of those issues last year like we all saw and said, hmm, okay, that sucks. Because there were a ton of plays last year, guys, where it's like, man, the play is there and the ball just gets batted down. We saw that against Alabama especially. And that sucks. And, and there's, I mean, it's unfortunate. Stetson's just short when it comes to that. So you've got, as a coach, you got to be proactive and you've got to, it's just another way to fit the offense around the skill set of your player. And I think that's why Todd Bung has done a great job of. Stetson certainly deserves some credit here as well. Uh, with more experience, a better feel of how to create windows, those kind of things. But I do think a big part of it is also, maybe even a bigger part of it, is the way Todd Munkin is calling football games right now. But it's a great question, Jonathan. Really appreciate it, man. All right, and our final team question before we get into our recruiting topics is from Darren. Um, this, is, this is another good question. It's an important question. So I appreciate it, man. Darren asks, how do we manage these last two games personnel and injury-wise? We need to keep this level of play high, but obviously some guys are banged up and we want to protect them. This is a great question, Darren. I mean, I was getting texts left and right from people. Curtis was texting me during the game, like, get these guys out of the game. And I understand that, but you're exactly right. You also want to keep the defense playing at a high level. You don't want there to be any rust factor. You want to keep them healthy and fresh, but you also want to make sure that they're getting enough playing time against quality opponents to where they're kind of keeping sharp, obviously. So it's a very delicate balance. Now, clearly, we're going to need more hands on deck against Georgia Tech than Charleston Southern. That's obvious, right? I would be very much in favor of resting a lot of guys against Charleston Southern as much as we can. Nolan Smith does not need to play. Devontae White does not need to play against Charleston Southern. It's that simple. Jamari Salyer, does need to play. He's got enough reps. I mean, there might be a small bit of rust factor if he comes back against Georgia Tech, but he does really need to play in this game. But And it would also help to get a guy like Broderick Jones more reps there. So I would be very cautious with those guys who are banged up to some degree. There's absolutely zero need to push it in this game. And, and I guess like if worse comes to worse and like, oh my God, like the, the craziest thing happens and it's like one of those Florida versus Sanford moments. I, I, again, that is beyond extraordinarily unlikely but if it gets in that situation those guys are still on the on the on the bench there and they can come to the game if needed but let's just not even try to use them unless we absolutely have to so I, in this game I, I think that's the smart move here now tech is a different story tech is not good I, i'm not sitting here telling you tech is good i'm not telling you to freak out about tech i'm not telling you to panic about that game not nah, no i mean we're, we're better than georgia tech there's no way that we should lose that game there's no way that game should even be close 
but it is a rivalry game. It's going to be Georgia Tech Super Bowl. They're not going to a bowl game this year. They get a chance to play their rival at home, who happens to be number one in the country. And just like Tennessee, just like every team that we play, they're going to come out on fire and they're going to give us their best shot from the get-go. And I would like to have as many of those players available as necessary. However, what I would say is if they do play that game, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we do have Alabama likely. I, I'm Right now, I would say Alabama's the clear favorite. They're not going to, they have to lose both these last two games to not end up in Atlanta. I don't, I don't think that's likely. So we have Alabama the next week. So if we do get a lead against Georgia Tech, I would like to see more liberal subbing earlier than typical. And I mean, it depends on the lead, it depends on how the game is going, the situation, the scenario, all of that. Um, but I would like to see those guys play because, I mean, Tech's going to give us their best shot. I don't think their best shot is good enough, but they're going to. And we want to make sure that we meet their fire with our fire to open the game, get that big lead so we don't have to sweat it out. You don't even want to think about that being a possibility. And then once we get that lead, uh, hopefully, then you can start to kind of pull those guys out quicker than you normally would. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind like seeing more rotation, seeing some of these, the backups, the twos and the threes getting more reps against a team like Tech. But I still, like if possible, we don't we don't know what his health exactly is right now, but if, if Nolan Smith is good to go, like he's cleared, I'd like to see him play. I know ideally you might want to rest him, but against Tech, let's just not take any chances. That's where I am right now. Like we're so close guys. We are so freaking close. I know that we're so better than Tech, but let's not take any chances right now. And I know some of you might be saying, well, let's not take any chances of having anybody getting hurt. I understand that. We still have to win that game. And Tech is going to give us their best shot. Again, I don't think it's good enough, but they have some pretty good players. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a really good player. They have some guys that, that can make some plays. And I, I would say let's have as many hands on deck as possible to open that game and then uh, hopefully be able to get those guys out as quickly as we can. But good question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay. As promised, let's get to some recruiting questions. And that's how I'm going to make this show work, guys. I'm just going to let your questions lead me here. I toyed around with a couple different ideas, and I figured, you know what? We want, we always want to make this show a show of the people. We want to talk about the things that you want to hear us talk about. So why not open up to you guys, and, and let's talk about recruiting the way you want us to talk about it. So I've got uh, about seven or eight questions here on the recruiting front that I'm going to run through, and uh, then we'll get out of here, all right? So we're going to open with Brad. I don't think we've ever gotten a question from Brad. Appreciate it, man. So Brad asks, ignoring where they are ranked by the different sites, 
Who would you rank as the top five players currently in our 2022 class? This is an awesome question. I love this because you guys know, I mean, look, there, there are people out there that I call, I call them stargazers where they just focus on the stars and like, according to them, like the best players in the class are just the, the top five highest rated guys. And sometimes that ends up being the case. Sometimes, absolutely. I mean, more five stars hit than three stars. That's absolutely fact. But Sometimes I think we just look at the stars and say, hey, this guy's a low four-star. He's a three-star. There's no way he's one of the best players in the class. And look at A.D. Mitchell, guys. A.D. Mitchell, three-star. Nobody's talking about A.D. Mitchell. Him and Brock Bowers, the top two players, at least as freshmen, in terms of impact players in that freshman class. And uh, Brett Bowers, a highly rated guy. He was a top 100 guy. But A.D. Mitchell was off the radar. So there can be misses there. There can be guys that are overlooked. But if I'm looking at this, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to go chalk for the first three. I, I think they got the first three right. Uh, Malachi Starks is our highest rated recruit. He's a five-star out of Jefferson. Michael Will- Williams is the guy that we flipped from USC uh, within the past month or so. He's also a five-star guy. And then you've got Bear Alexander, who is our third highest rated recruit. He was committed. They decommitted. I thought he was going to AM, but we were able to get him back in the fold. He's a defensive tackle um, originally from Texas, now at IMG, which we recruit extraordinarily well. Those three guys, in order, are going to be my top three. Malachi Starks is a freaking stud. Malachi Starks is a monster. He is an incredible athlete. He projects to play defense for us, probably safety. But he's a guy that absolutely could be a two-way star for us. Those guys don't really exist anymore. You don't really see teams do that anymore. But he has that kind of ability. He's that electric with the ball in his hands. He's that kind of athlete. But he's he's got good size. Um, for a guy with that athleticism, 6'1", 200 pounds, I think he's tailor-made to be an impact safety at the next level. He could also play star if he wanted to because he has kind of athleticism to cover from that position. I don't think he's a cornerback, but I do think safety star for him. And he could be like, I mean, if you think about the guys we're going to have leaving, Lewis Seen's almost certainly going to be gone. Uh, Christmas is going to be gone. That safety spot is wide the heck open. I think Malachi Starks is going to be a major contender to start week one next year in Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Oregon. That guy is the truth. I mean, he's just an incredible athlete, explosive, powerful, plays hard. I mean, he's the total package. Love him. I absolutely love Malachi Stars. Michael Williams, I am in love with this guy too. When Oh my God, man. Like when he committed to USC, I was like, damn, that sucks. That guy's a big time player. But obviously once once the uh, the issues happened at USC, they fired Clay Held on it. That was my very first thought. When Clay Held got fired, I was like, uh-oh, Michael Williams might be back and play again. And so it is. Michael Williams, we're able to flip him from USC. He's uh, he's out of Hardaway here in the state of Georgia. He's an in-state guy. He's tw- number 23 nationally, 247 composite, 6'5", 265. You watch him play. He's not quite as big as Trayvon Walker was coming out of high school. He's about 20 pounds lighter. But it gives me some like serious Trayvon Walker vibes. He's not the exact same kind of player. And, and I, I wonder where he's going to play it at the college level. That's one, con- I don't know if it's a concern, it's just an interest I have. Because right now he's again 6'5, 265. Is he an edge player? It's kind of big for an edge player. He's probably going get, to get bigger and add more weight once he gets to college. Is, is he a five tech like Trayvon Walker has been? Maybe. I think that's probably where he projects. I think he can also slide inside in certain packages and situations, kind of like what Walker does. But again, he gives me serious Trayvon Walker vibes. I think he could play the edge like an outside linebacker depending on how his body develops over the next year or so. 
but he is just a playmaker. Wherever you put that guy on defense, he's going to make plays. He's explosive. He's powerful. He does a really good job of using his hands, which is something that guys at that stage I really look for because that tells me how advanced you are. Sometimes they just kind of out-athlete people because they're just bigger, more physical, stronger, more athletic. And he does that. Don't get me wrong. He's just better than everyone he plays. But he also shows that he has that kind of advanced technique in terms of his hand placement, hand usage that you don't always see from high school players. He does a really good job of playing with leverage. I mean, this guy is an impact player. I think he's going to be a, a day one impact type player for us next year as well, especially if you consider some of the guys that we're likely, we don't know how it's going to shake out, but it's a very good chance we lose guys like Nolan Smith, obviously Adam Anderson, maybe even Trayvon Walker. So with those guys leaving, I think Michael Williams might be a guy very well could be a guy that's going to fill that void and be a player for us as early as week one, just like Malachi Starks. And then Bear Alexander is another guy who, I mean, he's he's number 39 nationally in 247 composite, but he's one of those guys. He was a former five-star. Now he's dropped down to a four-star. He's one of those guys, there's a pretty significant gap between how the two major recruiting services actually rate him. So on Rivals.com, He's rated as the number 10 player nationally. He is a five-star in Rivals. 247, so the, the 247 does the composite ratings where they take all the different rankings out there from the different sites and services and they average them out. That's usually what I use because it's just the easiest thing to use. But they also have their own rankings which are part of that composite rating. And with 247's individual rankings, they only have him 92nd nationally, which is, that's that's ridiculous. He's far better than like a fringe 100 top player. Maybe he's not a top 10 player, but he's certainly closer to top 10 than he is to top 100. So uh, to me, he's a five-star type player. If you watch him play, I, I don't know how you can justify having this guy at 92nd nationally, even when he was committed to us. I'm sitting here looking like, you dropped him down like close to the top 100? That doesn't make a lot of sense, but he's a big time defensive lineman. He's a guy that, he's obviously not exactly like Jordan Davis. Those guys are just extraordinarily rare, but he's a guy that could potentially fill in at that kind of zero tech nose guard position. He's really powerful at the point of attack. He's another guy that's advanced in his hand usage at that level. You just, you like to see that. He can be a space eater, but he also moves really well, especially laterally. He's very athletic for his size. He can retrace his steps and track down ball carriers at a pass line of scrimmage. He's just a big time player. I mean, he is an SEC defense lineman if I've ever seen one. Again, powerful at the point of attack, really athletic, uses his hands well, can eat up space, can play two gap, can play one gap, has a quick first step. This is a guy that's going to be a big time player for us. And I think he can be an impact player in year one. We do have some guys like Zion Logue who are going to be coming back. Jalen Carter's going to be coming back. So I don't know if there's as many opportunities for him to like crack the starting lineup next year as there are for like guys like Malachi Starks and, and Michael Williams. But I think he'll be in the rotation next year. There's a very, very good chance of that. So those are my top three. I'm going chalk there because that's according to 247 Composite. Those are our top three recruits in the class. And I, I hate that it is chalk, but I'm trying to be honest with you guys. But the guy coming number four, here's where I will depart from the chalkiness. I'm going to go Oscar Delp. Tied in Oscar Delp. I love this guy. I love this guy. I love this guy. You guys know, remember I told you last year, I told you guys very early on about Brock Bowers. I predicted that he would be the biggest early impact guy in this class. And I mean, not to pat myself on the back too much here, but it's kind of proved to be the case. I think Oscar Delp is extraordinarily similar in a profile to Brock Bowers. He's a difference maker at tight end, and that is a position that we have put an emphasis on. Guys, we have played with 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field, more than any other team in the country. About 50% of the time, we are operating with two tight ends on the field in whatever formation that might look like. All right, that's what we're doing. We want to use tight ends. Kirby's made no bones about that. He's made it clear. We want as many good tight ends as we can find because 
That is a matchup problem. I've talked many times on this show about how offensive football, one of the things that's really led the way for this offensive explosion for the past couple of years is hybrid offensive players. Oscar Delp, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, those are hybrid offensive players. It makes it really hard on the defense to know how to defend your offense when you can run the ball with equal effectiveness as you can and throw the football with that same personnel on the field. With, a, with all those tight ends, yeah, we can run the ball right at you. You have to respond with heavy personnel to stop the run. But with that same person on the field, we can also carve you up in the passing game because you can't, those heavier defenders, they can't hang in coverage with those kind of guys. And Oscar Dubs got the size, the speed, the athleticism. He's incredibly versatile. I, I don't want to sit here and say he's more athletic than Brock Bowers because we've seen what Brock Bowers can do. I will say this though, I fully believe based off what I've seen from him that he is every bit as athletic as Brock Bowers, but also coming in a bigger frame. He's a little more thin. He's not quite as filled out right now, but he's about an inch or so taller. And I think he can actually add more weight and be bigger than Bowers and be just as athletic. So as much of an impact as Brock Bowers has made, as awesome as he has been, I think Oscar Dupp can do a lot of the same things. And just imagine that guys, Oscar Dupp, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, on the same team, I mean, Jesus Christ, that is a nightmare for defensive coordinators to deal with. So he's coming at number four for me. And then the other guy here at number five, now this is where I'm really going to depart from the rankings. I am very, very, very high on Carlton Madden, who's an edge rusher out of Cedar Grove. This guy is criminally underrated. He's only ranked, he's a three-star, 479th nationally in the country according to 247 composite. That is crazy. I really have to question. When you see rankings like that, you have to question, have any of you guys that do the rankings, have you actually watched this guy play? Because all you got to do is turn the tape on one time and you're sold. Like, okay, yep, that guy's a top 100 player. And I'm not saying Carlton Madden should be like a top 10 player. I, I'm not necessarily saying that. I think he, he's going to be really, really good. He's every bit a top 100 player. It's crazy to me. This guy is sitting closer to 500 than he is top 100. That's insane to me. Because when you watch him play, he's got the versatility. He's got the ability to rush the passer. He can drop into coverage. He stands up and plays inside linebacker at times. He rushes the passer at times. I mean, he's got the size, 6'3", 239, really good first step, really smooth athlete, moves extraordinarily well. This guy is going to be a player for us. And again, in a year next year where we are going to be losing a lot of edge rushers and we don't have a ton of guys behind them right now. We've got Chaz Chambliss. Uh, we got Mikhail Sherman who's going to play a lot next year. Uh, I think Xavier Sori is going to factor in as well. But there's playing time available at outside linebacker next year. And I think Carlton Madden is going to come in and he's going to factor into that conversation. He does need to continue to to add strength and mass to his body. But this guy has all the athletic tools that would require him to be a big time edge player in the SEC. So to me, I'm going Malachi Starks, Michael Williams, Bear Alexander, Oscar Delp, and then here's my here's my curveball. I'm going Carlton Madden in my top five in this class. And there's a, and there were some hard choices. Guys. There's a bunch of other guys in this class that I really, really like as well. I mean, it was really hard to leave a, a guy like Gunnar Stockton and Branson Robinson to leave them out of my top five. And look, it's still early. I mean, it's not early recruiting process, but I've been really focused, hyper-focused on the 2021 season right now. I haven't been as focused on recruiting. And that's just kind of the way it works for me during the season. I pay attention to it, but just not as closely as I do in the offseason, which just kind of becomes like my primary focus. I've watched tape on all these guys. I haven't watched as much tape as I will once we hit you know December after the SEC championship game. So I reserve the right to adjust this. But as of right now, where I am seeing these guys, and some of these guys 
guys will release their senior tape as well. I always like to see that as much as I possibly can. Uh, that's where I am right now with the top five players in this class. All right, let's move on to the next one here. This is from Darren. He asked, with Cook and Zeus leaving, do we assume that it's a McIntosh, Milton, and Edwards, or do we expect one of these freshmen to compete? He feels like there's an opportunity if one of these is a speedster. I, I do think there's going to be an opportunity for them to come in and, and get reps. I mean, if they're, if they're going to earn reps, they can get reps. We've seen it this year, guys. Like, we're splitting reps between four guys. I don't necessarily love that. I mean, I understand you want to keep all these guys happy because they don't transfers. I understand the necessity of that now with the transfer portal, but I would like, especially when you get deep in the season, you get some of these big games, feed the beast. Feed the guy who's the hot hand. Feed James Cook right now because that guy is just balling out and he's changing the, the way this offense is operating right now. But we've got two guys that are committed to the running back position. We have Branson Robinson, who is a borderline five-star. He's a top 50 prospect, number 42 overall out of Mississippi, 5'10", 220 pounds. And then we got a guy out of Tennessee named Jordan James, who doesn't get a lot of conversation. People don't talk much about him. I think he's a good player. Uh, he's 5'10", 205, number 182 nationally out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I like both these guys. Now, I don't think either one of them are like true like speedster, home run speed type guys, but they both have good speed. They both can take it the distance if they need to. Uh, I think Robinson has a little bit better speed right now, and he'd be the guy if I had to pencil one in right now to like try to compete for some carries next year. I would say Branson Robinson. I think Branson Robinson will come in and be ahead of Dejan Edwards next year. I think to me, if I'm looking ahead to next year, I think Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton will battle it out to be the, the number one guy. I think McIntosh might start the season as a starter. He's he's a year older. He's got a little bit more versatility with his ability to be a receiver out of the backfield. I really like Kenny McIntosh. And I love Kendall Milton too. I mean, it's really a 1A, 1B situation. You can't really go wrong with either one of those guys. And, and Dejan Edwards, he's flashed mobility in garbage time. But Branson Robinson is just a better prospect. I mean, he's a bowling ball out there. He's he's really quick in a short area. can make you miss in the hole. Runs a really good power. Runs with great leverage and pad level. Uh, obviously, can can break tackles. Can can take the ball to the house. He's not like the fastest guy on earth, but he's certainly got the ability to, to take it the distance. Maybe the thing I love most about Branson Robinson is his balance. He just does an incredible job, not just running with power, but a big part of being a power bat. Remember like Richard Samuel? He was a big physical guy but it was hard for him to be a power bat because he just couldn't stay on his feet. He had no balance. Branson Robinson is not that problem. He's like the opposite of Richard Samuel. He has the power. He's got the strength. He's got the size. I mean, he's jacked up. He's one of those kind of guys, like a Nick Chubb workout type guy. But he's got incredible balance, so he's able to take those hits and absorb those hits and also stay on his feet. So I really think he's going to come in and compete for carries as a true freshman. I don't think he'll start the season as the number one guy, but I think he might overtake Edwards as kind of that third back uh, as a freshman next year. So I, I think that's what I'm looking at right now. Jordan James, I wouldn't completely count him out. He's a good back in his own right, but I think Branson Robinson right now is just the better prospect coming out of high school. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. 
Okay, for our next question, I guess I kind of already touched on this, but let's go in a little bit more detail here. This is from Zach, who's been a long-time listener. Always appreciate it, Zach. Zach asks, who is the most underrated guy currently on our commit list? The guy I mentioned earlier, I'll mention him again here, Carlton Madden. I think he's criminally underrated at number 479. This guy, again, is a top 100 caliber prospect. It, it just baffles me. It defies logic how this guy is... Not not only is he not in the top 100, but he's like barely into the top 500. That's crazy to me. It's, it's like these guys just simply have not watched him play. It's that simple to me. The other guy in this class, I think, is really underrated and undervalued, and I don't understand him. You watch his tape, it's just like, how is this guy ranked 574th nationally? And that's why I don't put too much stock in their rankings. I mean, if you're a five-star guy, yes, of course, you have a higher chance to be a big-time player. Those numbers have kind of borne themselves out over the years. But they, they just miss some of these guys. And like Dylan Bell at wide receiver is a guy that's coming in right now ranked 574th nationally. And all I would ask you guys to do, if you haven't seen his tape, put on his tape, put on his tape, and just tell me, is that guy 574th best in the country? Because if he is, man, this must be the best recruiting class in the history of the world, the best recruiting cycle that there's ever been. Because he is another guy, just like Carlton Madden, I think he's a top 100 caliber guy. I'm not saying he's a five-star guy. I'm saying he's just much better than 574th nationally. He's 6'2", 205 pounds, and I really like him as a receiver, man. I really, really do. He's got good size, physicality, and he's got really good hands. Um, he's got good speed. He's a really good athlete out there. He does a lot of the little things well that receivers have to do. He runs routes well, gets in and out of breaks, uses the head fakes to really kind of get defenders off balance. He's really good after the catch. So, I mean, this is a guy, again, I think he's a top 100 caliber receiver. I don't understand why he's this far down the rankings. And I really do believe that both Bell and Madden are due for a pretty big bump in the rankings once the, the final rankings come out. And they'll do their updates here once you get to uh, the camp season, you get to like the, the All-American games, all that stuff. They see some of these guys more so in person. The senior tape gets out. And you start to see these guys in the playoffs, all that. Like there will be updates and rankings. I think both those guys are due for a pretty big bump. But at the end of the day, like it doesn't really matter. It's just one of those things. It's just it's just baffling. It's just frustrating. It's like, what are you watching? I just don't understand. Okay, let's keep it going here. We have a couple more questions to get to. Xander has a good question for us. Who is the biggest slash most important remaining target on our board. We got asked this question a couple different times, a couple different ways from a couple different people. And uh, I don't think we've ever had a question from Xander either, or at least not that I remember. So I wanted to give him some love here and use his question. So the biggest or most important remaining target on our board, there's some big names out there, guys. Shamar Stewart's a big name. But for me, the one that really stands out is Jaheim Singletary. Kamari Wilson's another one as well. But Jaheim Singletary is a guy that's a former... Ohio State commitment. He has decommitted from Ohio State, and slowly but surely, we've been starting to reel this guy in. And it sounds like he's getting closer and closer to ending the process and going ahead and making his final commitment. And I think we're in really good shape. Now, you guys that have listened for a long time, you know, I always say this, I'll say it again when I talk about recruiting. I'm not a recruiting analyst. I do not call these guys. I do not follow them. I don't have relationships with them. I don't know people in their inner circle. I don't have really that many contacts around them. The contacts I do have are contacts around the Georgia football program that kind of give me a little bit of information, little bits and pieces of stuff here and there about these guys, but I don't have contacts around them. So I I don't know where these guys are going. You know, I, I read what you guys read in terms of where they're going. And I also talked to a few people around the program and asked them how they're feeling about these guys and where they're trending. And I've heard a lot of positive vibes around Singletary the past couple of weeks. And I think he's getting closer and closer 
to pull that trigger. I don't know that for sure, but I think there's a really good chance he's going to be that guy. And I, and I feel really good based on what I've heard about where we sit with him right now. Things are always subject to change. You're talking about high school students, always subject to change. But right now, we're in a really good position. And this guy is a stud. Uh, he's number 18 nationally. He's another one of those guys. There's a pretty big gap, though, in how they look at him. Again, Rivals is much higher on him than 247. Rivals has him number five nationally. 247 has him outside the top 50 at number 56 nationally. But when you average it all out with all the different rankings, he's number 18 nationally in the 247 composite. So he's a five-star guy. And there's a couple reasons why I think he is the biggest, most important remaining target on our board. Number one, it's a major position of need. He's a cornerback. He's a pure 100% cornerback, and we need guys like that. Darren Kendrick's going to be gone. Healy Ringo's going to be back. We're going to have Jalen Kimmer come back next year, Nylon Green, Kamari Lassiter. We have all those guys are coming back, but there's going to be at least one of those jobs wide open, right? And I think Singletary is good enough to come in right away, potentially, and compete for one of those jobs because he has great speed, awesome athleticism, insane body control, ridiculous ball skills. He could also play receiver if he wanted to. He's that kind of player. He's also got good size. He's a little thin. He needs to add a little weight, but 6'2", he's got really good long arms. He's got the great body type to play that position. It reminds me of Keely Ringo in a way. Maybe it's just a thinner version of Keely Ringo, but 6'2", 170. And again, plays a major position of need for us. We just need, not just bodies, we need elite players in the secondary. And I think Jaheim Singletary has all the makings to be that for. So for me, the guys left on our board, look, I can sit here and like, when you ask this question, who's the biggest, most important remaining target on our board? What I could do is just pull up the 247 rankings of, uh, of the players and say, all right, who's the top rated uncommitted guy? Let's go with that. But I'm trying to, to go with guys that we are legitimately in the conversation with, that we're in the running for, that we have a really good chance to land. And of, of those guys, I think Jaheim Singletary is the number one prospect in my book left on the, on the board for us. There's some, some other really good players. I mentioned Shamar Stewart. He's another guy that I'm really high on. Maybe we can flip Kojo Antwi as a receiver. But Jaheim Singletary is a guy that I am watching very closely. Christian Miller is another guy demons to tackle, but to me, Jaheim Singletary is that dude. Okay, our next question is from uh, our good friend Alexander. Um, this is a very popular question. We've gotten asked this a couple times throughout the season, actually, even going back to like the summer. Um, so Alexander's not along in this uh, alone in this observation. He asks, "What's your take on the recent recruiting misses at receiver? Is this going to be a weak spot on the roster in coming years?" And I understand where you're coming from, Alexander. I really do. Like we've recruited so well at so many positions throughout the years, whether it's offensive line, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, running back. We recruit so well at so many positions. But I I do think it's fair to say that over the years, maybe we haven't recruited at as high of a level at the wide receiver position, at least in terms of the profile, the rankings of the guys that we're landing. Obviously, George Pickens was a five-star guy, but he's kind of like the five-star exception. Now, we have had some good players over the years. I mean, Two years ago, recruiting class was really, really good. Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint, Justin Robinson, Ladd McConkey, like those guys are really, really good football players. And you throw in a guy like Dominic Blaylock that came in the George Pickens class. We've recruited actually, I think, better than people want to give us credit for at the wide receiver position. I think the issue is we've been in the running for some really high profile guys at that position and haven't landed all of them. And I think that kind of breeds this narrative and this perception that we just haven't really been recruiting as well at that position. And maybe we haven't been recruiting as well at that position because it's all relative. We recruit at such a high level. We're talking about five-star after five-star after five-star at all these other positions. And we're recruiting well enough at receiver, maybe just not to the level of like offensive line or linebacker or wherever it might be on the field. But I, I, I do think it's a bit overstated. 
right? That's my personal opinion. I understand where you're coming from. I get it. I just think it's a little bit overstated. I understand there's been some high-profile misses. Luther Burden, Kojo Antwi from here in Georgia. Luther Burden, we thought we had a shot for. He decided to stay closer to home in Missouri, which, hey man, good luck to you, I guess, whatever. Uh, Travis Hunter is one that I know really bothers people a lot. He's a guy from Collins Hill that's going to Florida State, and we've tried to continue to recruit him. We've actually got him to campus, which I, just, which I didn't even think we were going to be able to do during the season. We got him to campus at least twice that we know of publicly. It might have been a few more times behind the scenes. We don't really know that. I mean, I think just getting him on campus was a victory. But Travis Hunter, like there's some context there, guys. With, with Luther Bird again staying close to home, Travis Hunter is a guy that's not a he's not a local Georgia kid. I mean, he, he's not really from Georgia. He's got family ties to Florida State, and that's really, really hard to overcome. He was just dead set on going to Florida State. I think we've done a really good job of at least giving him something to think about. I do think he'll ultimately end up at Florida State. I wouldn't completely count us out because he has at least made visits. That's something you always got to follow the visits in recruiting. But there's context there, and I do think he'll end up going to Florida State. So when we miss on guys like that, and Hunter might not play receiver anyway, he might play DB, but when you miss on guys like that, I understand that creates this perception, creates this narrative. But I would also add to this, I think people are really undervaluing the players that we have at that position in this class. I've told you guys already, I love Dylan Bell. I think he's insanely underrated. I think Denylon Morissette at North Cobb can be a major contributor. He used to play at the high school that I went to. I've seen this guy play a lot. I think he can be a number one type wide receiver. I need to see more of him. I think he has that skill set. He's one of those guys that just does a lot of little things well. Is he the most athletic, the most explosive receiver? No, he's not. But he does all the little things that receivers have to do extraordinarily well. Gets in and out of those breaks. He is a guy that understands how to set up defenders. He is a guy that understands how to sit in zone coverage. He's got good ball skills, all those things that make a wide receiver really good. Plus, he's got good athleticism. He might not be the most athletic guy, but I think he could be a really, really major contributor for us down the road at that position. I'm high on him. And I know it's not a popular thing to say, but I absolutely think that Cole Spear from Calhoun can be a player for us. Now, I got to see this guy live in person here in Athens when Clark Central played him in the playoffs last year. That guy is a player, man. I'm telling you. To me, and I'm not saying this to anybody specifically, but just in general, I've heard people say, oh, Cole Spear, he's going to get Billy Bob, and maybe he will. If we land a five-star guy out of nowhere, maybe Cole Spear gets knocked out of the recruiting class. Maybe. But if he stays in this class... I think he can make plays for us, man. I really do. Think about Lab McConkey, all right? How many of y'all actually thought Lab McConkey was going to do anything here at the University of Georgia? How many of y'all? Honestly, honestly, let's be real here. How many of you? I would say not many, right? And look at what Lad's been able to do for us this season. Cole Spear is similar in a lot of ways to Lad McConkey. I mean, he's a little bit undersized, although he's thicker. He's not as skinny. I mean, Lad was real thin in high school. Cole's not. I mean, he's got pretty good size. He's about six foot, six one, about 200 or so pounds. And to me, when you if you actually turn the tape on, you watch that guy play, and if you see him in person like I've seen him, I think you're just stargazing if you don't think that he can contribute at some point in his career. I, I, I really believe that. I think he absolutely, I'm not saying he's going to be a number one type guy, but at worst, he can be a complimentary piece and can be a really good player for us. He can do a, a lot of things and make big contributions to this football team. So I just think we're kind of undervaluing the guys that we have in this class right now. And I know it's kind of disappointing to miss on some of the bigger high profile guys. I get that. And I'd also say this too, I trust the evaluations at wide receiver. Think about some of these guys, right? Think about some of the guys that are that are really contributing to a high level for us. With all the injuries to some of those guys that, that I mentioned earlier, Jermaine Burt, Marcus Rosemey, Jackson, the majority of the season, who've been the two guys for us? Who've been the two guys that we've counted on the most at wide receiver all season? Oh yeah, three-star A.D. Mitchell, 
under the radar. Nobody talked about him coming out of the class last year. Former three-star, last second addition to the class a couple years ago, Lad McConkey. Why aren't we trusting evaluations at wide receiver? Sometimes the coaches know what they're talking about, right? And they, they miss sometimes too. Don't get me wrong. They miss sometimes. But they have, I always say this, they have more information to operate off of than we do. They get these guys in camp. They see them work out and they understand what they're looking for. So I think right now, if you want to kill Cortez Hankton for not keeping up with recruiting the way that other coaches are, okay, that's fine. But don't we also need to give this guy some credit for the evaluations and the development of these players? I think I don't think you can have it both ways. So I know people looking at Cortez Hankton and the implication here is that oh, he's the weak link. I just don't see it that way. I really don't. I think he's recruiting well. Is he linking some of those five-star guys? No, not all the time. A couple of them here and there. Uh, but you also have to think about this, guys. Think about the way we structure our offense and what we do offensively. And there is some serious negative recruiting that goes against us when it comes to receiver position. And I was hopeful that we, that would change a little bit this year, but JT went down. We've kind of reverted back to what we traditionally done, maybe a little bit of a different version of that. Now that we have a mobile quarterback, but we're still run the football, you know, 70% or so of the time with Stetson as our quarterback. And receivers see that. They want the ball and they hear that from other places. And it's just really hard to kind of overcome that if you are the recruiter. But that's just my take on it. I understand why people be frustrated, but that's kind of where I land on that conversation. All right, a couple more here real quick. Uh, Bryson asks, who do you think is the next recruit to jump on board this class? I guess I kind of spoiled this one earlier. I do think it's Jaheim Singletary. Could be Christian Miller's guy to watch out of Cedar Grove as well. But to me, Jaheim Singletary is probably going to be that guy. I don't know exactly when he's going to pop, but I think it could be relatively soon. I think it could be before National Sign Day. We'll see there. And then finally, last question here. We talk about recruiting. You can't ignore the transfer portal. That's a big part of recruiting now. It really is. Jay Rake has a really good question here. He's looking at the transfer portal with... Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis going to the draft. Is it possible that we could get someone like Mason Smith from LSU? I think if it came down to us and LSU with a coaching change coming, it could be possible. Also, Aliyah Ricks at DB from LSU as well. Great point. You're exactly right. Mason Smith is a guy that we made a strong move down the stretch for in the last cycle. He ends up going to LSU, staying at home there. And it's had a really good freshman season for them kind of under the radar because they haven't been very good. But it's certainly possible with a coaching change that that door will be opening. Depends on who's hired. Uh, and how he feels about that and how he kind of feels about how this season went. But it, it wouldn't shock me. It absolutely wouldn't shock me. Just saying. It wouldn't shock me at all because we were right there with him down the stretch. We made a strong move for him. And then Rick's at DB. I, I don't know if there's as much of a chance there. I do think we need some impact players at DB and on the defensive line. I don't know if Rick's would be a major candidate there. I wouldn't be shocked if he transfers. He's another guy I wouldn't be surprised as well, if that happens, there are some rumors coming in this season that he actually might be a transfer candidate. But we'll see. I just don't know the specific names right now, but I will say this about the transfer portal. I think we're going to need to bring in some impact transfers at particular positions, especially on defense right now with all the projected losses off of this year's roster. I must think about this the other day. I was like, man, okay, if our big time contributors on defense, who's going to like, who's guaranteed to come back next year? We know Jalen Carter's coming back. We know Kelly Ringo's coming back. Uh, we know that Tyke Smith will come back. I mean, almost certainly, even though he hasn't really played at all this year. But outside of that, like we're talking about major contributors, like who do we know for sure is coming back? I mean, inside linebackers, they all could come back, but they all could go too. I think maybe Shane Tindall is the most likely of the inside linebackers to come back. I think Quay Walker's as good as gone. I think Nicobe Dean is as good as gone. Trayvon Walker, I assume, is gone, but I've been hearing there's a chance that he might actually decide to come back. The decision has not been made yet. We'll see. But I think the way he's playing right now, I think he might be playing himself into an early round draft pick. Darren Kendrick's going to be gone. Lewisine's going to be gone. Chris Smith's going to be gone. So there are going to be some holes in this defense. Now, we have some really talented guys waiting in the wings. For sure, we recruit at an elite level. That's absolutely the case. But 
you don't want to rely on so many guys that are inexperienced coming in and playing big roles, playing Oregon week one issue. I think we're going to have to hit the transfer portal and at some key positions on defense. I think we're going to need some guys uh, at the edge rusher position. Probably going to lose Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson. Those guys are going to be gone. Maybe an impact defensive lineman as well. I feel pretty good about some of the guys on the defensive line uh, with Logue and obviously Jalen Carter. Nazir Stackhouse, Marlon Dean, Ingram Dawkins, those kind of guys. I, I feel good about those guys, but we want some like impact guys that are experienced, ready to come play right away. So I think we're going to hold some spots. Another question we got to ask, I guess I can throw this one in here. I forget who asked it. How many recruits are going to sign this year? I, it's going to be a weird year, guys. The hard 25 cap is not a hard 25 cap anymore. They passed a, a temporary rule this year. I think you're going to try to make this permanent, but until they can figure out a permanent solution temporarily for this year, at the very least, you can sign up to seven additional players above the 25-man cap um, as long as those you've, as long as you've lost those players to transfer. So if you've lost seven guys to transfer, you can sign up to seven additional guys to basically keep your roster whole. Because what's happening is all these guys are transferring out and teams don't have anything close to 85 players, 85 scholarship players on their roster. So I think we'll probably take about 30 guys, 29 to 30 guys, and hold a couple of spots for those impact transfers. If I had to guess right now, and if you look at the team rankings right now, we are currently sitting number one in the country in the 247 composite team rankings. We've got 22 commitments. I think we'd add seven to eight more right now. And look, we might get to 32. I just, I don't think that's likely. If you look at how things have gone in the past, we want to save some spots for those impact transfers because there are going to be some holes that we need to fill. And I think Kirby will save at least two or three spots there. So 29, 30-ish, somewhere around there would be my, my projection on where we ultimately land with our numbers in this class. But all right, guys. That does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of recruiting interlude today. I know that uh, we don't get a chance to talk about recruiting very much at all during the regular season. We're like all focused on the team, as I think we should be. And we will certainly get back to that tomorrow as Charlie and I will be back with our week 12 picks of the week. And that will lead us into hate week, into rivalry week next week against Georgia Tech. So thanks for listening, guys. Always appreciate it. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.